It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Section 20 of Red Rubber, the story of the rubber slave trade on the Congo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Omar Raymond. Red Rubber, the story of the rubber slave trade on the Congo by Edmund Dene Morrill. The Duty, What Britain Can Do, Part 1. What Great Britain Can Do. Extracts from speeches in the House of Commons and House of Lords. It had always been the boast of this country, not only that our own native subjects were governed on principles of justice, but that ever since the days of Wilberforce, England had been the leader in all movements on behalf of the backward races of the earth. Here was an occasion when those responsible for our policy, basing themselves on a treaty publicly and solemnly made, might pursue those great traditions, and by taking the initiative, in this matter might add to the annals of the good deeds of the country, Mr. Herbert Samuel, 1903. It was obvious that there was a complete enslavement of the whole population, as the suppressors of slavery and the slave trade we had always led Europe and had the highest degree of responsibility under the engagement of the powers at Berlin to watch over the execution of the Berlin Act for the protection of the natives, Sir Charles Dilk, 1903. The treaties made between the Congo states and ourselves had undoubtedly been overridden, and therefore he supposed the Undersecretary for Foreign Affairs would not deny their right to interfere. Then arose the question, was it expedient that they should do so? His answer to that was in the affirmative. Sir John Gerst, 1903. He thought we could do something alone, Mr. Alfred Emmett, 1903. He altogether denied that they could deal with the Congo state as if it were a state like France, Austria, Germany, or any other power. The Congo Free State was an artificial creation. Lord Fitzmaurice, 1903. In face of the facts which are now officially admitted, he asked the House whether the time was not come when they should sweep away all the difficulties which stood in the way and force the government to take stronger action than mere words and dispatches to deal with this horrible scandal. Sir Charles Dilk, 1904. He was driven to the conclusion, therefore, that the only remedy was for the public opinion of Europe 
and particularly of this country, to bring into force the clause of the convention under which the Free State was founded, Mr. Austin Taylor, 1904. The Congo Free State lay absolutely at the mercy of this country or any other country which chose to say it would occupy the capital at Boma in the name of civilization. Lord Fitzmaurice, 1904. There has never been a policy of which it might be said, as truly as of this one, that it was the policy not so much of His Majesty's government as the policy of the House of Commons. Lord Percy, 1904. He did not think any of the great European powers, with the facts so clearly established as they now were, ought to be content, in view of their own honour in the matter, to sit still and do nothing. Sir Edward Grey, 1904. Our own position in Africa must be considered. The infamous treatment of the natives in the Congo Free State must affect the position of the natives throughout Africa. The knowledge of the injustice inflicted upon the natives in the Congo Free State was carried by those subterranean wires which all natives employed from one part of the continent to the other and was bound to affect the condition of the natives under the British, German and French flags. So Gilbert Parker, 1906. We held a national responsibility. The right of intervention seemed to him to be clear beyond dispute. Sir Charles Dilke, 1906. Apart altogether from treaty obligations, every state interested in any portion of the territory of the Congo comprised in the convention had not only the right, but was under the obligation from the point of view of self-interest to consider how far the present system of misgovernment carried with it a serious menace to the reputation and even to the security of the European governments. Lord Percy, 1906. But I may add, quite irrespective of any right we enjoy under the letter of these acts, that we have a moral right to interfere, which comes to us in consequence of the false pretenses, I cannot use a gentler word, under which the Congo state has acquired its privileged position in that part of Africa. Lord Lansdowne, 1906. In the last three chapters, I've endeavoured to establish that from King Leopold, no alteration in the existing state of affairs on the Congo is to be looked for, that to expect reform from that quarter would be puerile, that reform can only come with a sweeping removal of the cause of the evil by cauterizing the evil at its roots. If there ever was a case where the old French adage il faut frapper à la tête applied, surely this is one. I've tried to show also how extremely difficult, not to say virtually helpless, short of a complete rupture between King and Parliament, is a position of Belgium, and how foolish it would be to regard Belgian annexation as a certain panacea within the pale of practical politics, or even as a necessarily certain panacea if it were within that pale. Hostility to a Belgian annexation of the Congo on the lines laid down by the Berlin and Brussels Acts, there is none in this country. But it is obvious that agreement to a Belgian annexation on the lines laid down by the King is utterly impossible. The neutrality of Belgium is guaranteed by the powers in the interest of international peace. The neutrality of a Belgian colony embracing the great heart of Africa and run like a slave farm through the medium of an ever-growing native soldiery armed with weapons of precision could be recognised by no power with tropical dependencies contiguous to its frontiers. As it is, the policy of laissez-faire adopted by the signatory powers of the Act of the West African Conference of 1885, having possessed in tropical Africa, in permitting the evolution of an international association for the promotion of civilization and commerce, from a Congo-free state to a military despotism resting upon slavery and rifles, is incredibly short-sighted. To allow such a condition of things to continue, 
with the substitution of the Belgian for the Congo flag of King Leopold would be insensate. Apart from all questions of humanity and legitimate political interest in Europe, Aquius would imperil Belgian neutrality in Europe. Of that, no one who understands this grave question can entertain the slightest doubt. But after all, we have not to consider possibilities, but actualities. Discussion, passionate or otherwise, can be renewed and yet again renewed in the Belgian Parliament. The projected law on the colonial possessions of Belgium may give rise to endless debates. Compared with the existing facts, all this is academic. Existing facts they are which confront us, which call out for immediate solution, drastic and thorough. The rubber slave trade flourishes, unchecked, unimpaired, unaltered by all the talk and ink spilling of the last four years. It has been exposed in all its horrors, but it is in being. Its activity has been stimulated by a sense of precariousness in the future. Its area of devastation increases, and with it the number of victims. That is the immediate consideration. All else is subsidiary. The year 1907 is a great anniversary, bringing with it a flood of recollections. The 26th of March 1907 will be in the centenary of the royal assent to the bill passed in both houses of parliament, abolishing the overseas slave trade. From the ashes of an international conference, summoned in the name of Almighty God, has sprung a traffic in African misery more devilish than the old, more destructive, more permanently ruinous in its cumulative effects. A British government, a liberal government, with many misgivings but with the best of intentions, by its active participation in that conference, and by its adhesion to the conclusions thereof, incurred a responsibility which cannot be set aside. Today, a British government, a liberal government, is in power with an enormous majority, strong and respected abroad, and has been given a mandate by a democratic parliament, convinced and unanimous to deal with this new form of the African slave trade, which the cupidity and the baneful ambitions of one man have reared in the heart of Africa. Behind a unanimous parliament stands a united press. This government and its predecessor in office have both alike addressed numerous protests to the author of the evil, publicly and privately, protests which have not merely been ignored in the sense of effecting improvement, but treated with contempt so marked as to be perilously akin to insult. The evil continues. This government and its predecessor in office have both alike held their hand when they could have struck hard and swift and in strict conformity with the treaty rights of Great Britain. The evil continues. Two years ago, the predecessor of the present government invited formally the cooperation of the other signatories to the West African Conference of 1885 to join with them in handling this evil. But the invitation was not accepted. The evil continues. A few months ago, the present government reiterated informally that invitation. The evil continues, and the author of the evil, in an insolent manifesto addressed to his secretaries, and directed at Great Britain, has defied the British government to carry out the mandate given to it by Parliament, placing himself above the reach of pledges and the law of nations. And the great anniversary is upon us. We have put our hands to the plough. We cannot draw back. For the sake of our dignity as a great nation, for the sake of our traditions as the emancipators of the races of Africa, as an African power having legitimate interest to maintain, we cannot wait forever. But have we not waited long enough? Surely the cup is full and overflowing. Internationally, our position has seldom been stronger, nor the home popularity which would attend positive action more assured to our government from every section or public opinion. 
So strong indeed do we consider ourselves to be from this country, from its foreign minister, has come the first clear proposal for a reduction in the world's armaments. From this country, from its premier and leader in the mother of parliaments, has come a message of sympathy addressed to the youngest of parliaments under circumstances which make of that message an historic pronouncement in favour of the liberties of men. Are we then not strong enough to rescue the races of Central Africa from enslavement and destruction at the hands of the man to whom we entrusted their destinies? While we wait, they perish, and there is no reason why they should. No interests of a great misguided nation are concerned. No sentiments imbued in generations of thought have to be rooted up and educated out of existence. No cataclysm in world politics hangs in the balance. No onrush of religious fanaticism is to be apprehended. Action to stay the extirpation of these African peoples is attended by none of the perils bound up with the conflicting international claims and racial animosities, which make a satisfactory settlement of the Eastern question so difficult. There is action we ourselves can take in virtue of treaty rights, which in itself would almost of necessity give rise automatically to a renewed international conference. What is that action? Let us turn to the Declarations Exchange and the Convention passed with the representative of King Leopold in 1884. We recognise the flag of the International Association on specific grounds. What were they? That the association had come into existence for the purpose of promoting the civilization and commerce of Africa and for other humane and benevolent purposes. 22 years later, we find that King Leopold's enterprise consists not in promoting civilization and commerce, but, as admirably defined by Lord Percy in the House of Commons, in the accumulation of rubber at an infinite cost of human life and suffering, for mercenary motives to quote Lord Lansdowne, we have been grossly deceived, therefore, and in that deception practised upon us resides a prima facie case for declining any longer to regard King Leopold's African flag as the emblem of a civilised administration. An administration whose object is to accumulate rubber at an infinite cost to human life and suffering, as deliberately stated in the British House of Commons by the Under Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, has no call upon a recognition in any case, still less so when such an object is totally at variance with solemn pledges made to us in the past. The steamers which King Leopold employs under his African flag can be declined admittance to British territorial waters. At present, they enter our ports, and at the most... Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.